Our scripture lesson today comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, verses 15 through 22. If another member of the church sins against you and, and point out the fault where the two or you are, then point out the fault where the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be lost in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about everything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We have come to know God that before we can be reconciled to another, we need to be reconciled to you. So we offer this as our prayer of confession and our act of humility for those things that we have done that we should not have and for those things we should have done but did not. We ask for your mercy and forgiveness. We ask for your comfort and healing in the woundedness of our lives. And we pray that we would be open to your spirit. So this prayer of, Lord, what do you want to do through me, continues in our difficult relationships. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. People do not always get along. Have you noticed? That's a simple fact of family life and community life and friendships. There are times when we will disagree. There are times when we will fight. There are times when we will attack each other. There are places in our life where still today, it is likely you, certainly I know I do, carry wounds and scars from battles past. There are days in which we are dictated by the fear of battles that we think may be coming. In Matthew 18, Jesus teaches the community of believers how we should behave with each other in places of disagreements and conflict. And for the church, Matthew 18 has long formed 
a, a model of conflict resolution, if you will, for the church. How many of you have been taught how to use Matthew 18 in the difficult relationships of your life? Not enough, clearly. So take some time to listen today, please, please, please. Unfortunately, before I can talk to you about how Matthew 18 was always intended to be used, I have to confess to you on behalf of the whole church, historical and present, that there are times we have taken Matthew 18 and turned it into something it was never intended to be. For example, when Jesus says that we are going to correct those who sin against us, I have known that there have been times when people have used that as their authority to go make sure we let the other person know just how wrong they are. My job here is to make sure that you understand that I am superior to you that I'm in the right. And ultimately, of course, in the name of Jesus, to get you to buckle down to me. But the truth is, that in very few cases, if any at all, do we ever have full understanding or truth or perspective on any situation, including the conflicts we may be in. Perhaps, and not always then, the only place we can be an expert on is our own feelings. When we go to the other with which there is strife or disagreement. Arrogance, superiority, and judgment are never, have not been, and were never intended to be a part of the way that we are are called to go to each other. Why? Because Jesus never did that. The one who could have been arrogant and judgmental and superior overall met each other and the others of his life with humility and grace. And if Jesus was that kind of Savior, then one can only assume he intended his disciples to go to those in their lives with a similar openness and willingness to simply be with each other and to learn from each other and to listen to each other and to care about each other, even in times of strife and conflict. In our relationships that are difficult, It may in fact be true that you and I can walk into it believing that we know what needs to happen. It may in fact be true that we can even believe that what we stand on and what we think is actually right, certainly. But the purpose for going to another, a trouble person, a person in conflict with you, is to go in the spirit of this passage to find common ground to discover that perhaps the relationship is more important than the issue and that nobody has full understanding of an issue on their own. When Jesus says we're supposed to find one or two others and invite them into the conflict, he is not suggesting that you go find your two, three, five, ten best friends who you know already agree with you and stir them up. Let them let you rant and rave and go out of control with your emotions and work them up so together, like a team, you can overpower the enemy. I know some of this you've never experienced, so I'll try to explain it more to you later. But sometimes people do that. 
We are not intended by Jesus to go and find those people who will help us feel more justified in our perspective. We are not to go find those whose sole purpose is to give us the privilege of talking badly about the other person. Instead, the people we are to include into our difficult relationship conversation are those who are there for one purpose and one purpose only, to help bring about reconciliation. Which means if you have a close friend or church member who just hates that other person too, they're not welcomed. And the reality is, if we select the right people, there's a good chance that their wisdom and their prayer life and their concern for reconciliation may mean they also help us see where we have been wrong. And the people we select to assist us in the conversation should be chosen simply for their integrity and unbiased perspective as much as that's possible. Their ultimate goal is not to assist us to win in the battle, but rather to bring perspective so that all can be reconciled. And when Jesus says that when those negotiations break down with that smaller group, we are reported to the church, that does not mean that we are to call someone out in public to people who do not have background, context, their ability to fully understand the issue from everyone's perspective. It does not mean Pastor Rick gets to write about you in the chimes next month. Do you understand that when this scripture was written, churches were house churches? They were house churches, 10, 15, 20 people at best, who would gather together in the house to pray and worship with each other. These were like families of faith gathered together. They knew each other, and they knew each other well. And so if there was a conflict between a couple of them, they talked to the house church who had perspective, who were in relationship with those who were in conflict, and who were there to bring about those people together so we could continue to be a healthy family of faith. The very nature of the gathering that would have occurred by going to the church and tell them would not have been, you see what they didn't do or what they're doing wrong, but it rather would have been, how can we together help bring this into a peaceful resolution? They would have worked together as a family for the well-being of all. To tell the church was not to talk about somebody, but rather to let the family know that there was a problem and to seek their wisdom and prayers for all involved. And when Jesus says, if reconciliation is not possible, if after you've done all of those things and you still can't come together in agreement and that difficult person and you remain estranged, Jesus says you are to treat them as Gentiles and tax collectors. When's the last time you treated somebody like a Gentile? You Gentiles. I don't want to ask about tax people. That's too close to April 15th. But the point is, when Jesus says, treat them as Gentiles and tax collectors, let me remind you, what did Jesus do with Gentiles and tax collectors? He brought them into their inner circle. He met them where they were without judgment. He entered into conversation with them with intense curiosity to get to know about them and to welcome them. He brought them into the leadership of the faith community. Ultimately, he died for them and treated them with honor and respect in every situation. And when Jesus says, if two or more of you agree on anything, 
He is not talking about the fact that find those people who agree with you and Jesus will ratify your opinion. What he is assuming is that when two or three of you gather together in the name of Christ, you have surrendered your opinions and you are being the church of Jesus Christ, committed and sold out entirely to doing his will, to allowing him to take control of your life. So when two of you three gather together or more in the name of Jesus Christ, and you pray in the name of Jesus Christ for the things Jesus Christ needs to be done in the world, that's what gets blessed in heaven. Health and wholeness are always to be present. One of the greatest gifts I ever received was from an associate pastor who worked with me in another church. And she said to me, Rick, if it's not healthy, it's not the gospel. If what's going on is not healthy, it's not gospel. And if people cannot be healthy and whole together, even after working through all the serious attempts at reconciliation, there is scriptural precedent for people to separate from each other. There are times when people will not be able to stay together in the midst of a disagreement. Paul and Barnabas, for example, in Acts, eventually split in what separate ways in their ministry because they disagreed on an issue. It does not say they went separate ways and then began to talk badly about each other. It does not say that they went their separate ways in a competition to see who would ultimately be proven right. They simply went their separate ways. But the very nature of Paul's writing tells us they did so still with mutual support because ultimately it was the mission of the church that mattered most. There are times when friends and relatives and church members will have strong enough disagreement that they need to separate. That's true. But separation is never a final act. Even after separation occurs, when we can no longer be together, live together, be in the same space with each other, it is then we continue in our ministry of Jesus Christ to honor Christ in the way in which we treat the person who we are separated from. Do we continue to pray for them? Do we continue to talk about them with honor and respect or not talk about them at all? Even when the other is not willing to accept our forgiveness, we are called to forgive. Because forgiveness offered is a power that is released. And while not received in the immediate moment, could become force for transformation in their life down the road. And it is immediate force in your life in the moment you forgive. You are set free. You quit holding on to the wounds and scars and hurts and you're able to be the child God always intended you to be. As I preach all this, I anticipate there are a few questions that you may be thinking. The first one is, what about those who continue to attack me, to continue to be mean, and who seem completely unwilling or unable to ever change? Have you ever met those people or had a friend talk about them? To those, I say these following few sentences I'm about to say are real easier for me to preach and will take a lifetime for me to learn how to do. Remember who you are. Remember who you are in all circumstances. You are a child of God. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Never, never let anyone else take the peace of Christ from you.
never, never let someone else dictate the joy in your life that Christ can give. If after all the steps that I've mentioned are undertaken and your difficult person continues to injure or harm you of any kind, remember that you are a child of God and you have a mission to accomplish in this world. We will go through hard times in life and we will extend ourselves long and far in difficult relationships. But it was never, has never been and never will be God's intent for you or for me or anyone to be someone else's battering ram to be someone else's excuse for their bad behavior, or to be diminished in any way by anyone else. We have the right to keep safe space around us from those who are injurious to us, harmful and unwilling to be reconciled. We can make sure whenever we have to be in the same place, we are surrounded by others whose purpose is to make sure that we don't lose control as much as it is to make sure of what the other person does. Jesus died for the sins of all, and you are not expected to be the Savior. But even as you do what is necessary for your health and well-being, we can continue to represent the resurrected Christ by how we engage with even those who seek our injury. While we will not judge other lesser beings than ourselves, we can and should discern the holiness or lack thereof in their actions. And when that is true, The Church of Jesus Christ and its members should never accept injustice, abuse, or any level of dysfunction as a determining factor that sets the agenda and character of your life or the life of the church. Second question. What if the difficult person or relationship in my life is with someone outside of the church? Now, you understand Jesus was talking to the people, he was right to the people of the church. But you and I both know A lot of our relationships are with people outside the church. What are we to do with them? In those relationships, it's important to find whatever common ground may exist. Just because they're not of the church doesn't mean they won't have common ways of understanding what's right and what's wrong, what's just and what's not. In those relationships, we get the chance to represent Jesus Christ, not by preaching as much as by being. We, like Christ, will have immense curiosity, respect, and compassion for others who come from a different cultural or faith perspective. We will love them unconditionally as we seek to find common good. I believe in the world today, we serve Jesus Christ the most when we engage with the world when our actions are our loudest sermon. So I don't know... You're a difficult person. Or maybe I do, but I don't know if you're a difficult person. I don't know what you're struggling with today, and I don't know what you're praying for today, but I'm going to suggest these next few thoughts. And I'm going to have Colin send these out to you this week. The sermon will be online if you want to listen to it again. But here's some thoughts for what you might do today and in the week ahead. First, I'm going to ask you to stop just for a moment right now and name the difficult people or person in your life that comes into your mind. And not saying their name aloud, now say their name in your head. And repeat after me is a person 
with whom I have difficulty, Lord. Help me to be faithful to you in the way I talk about them, in the way I treat them, and in the way I offer myself to them. Amen. I'm going to invite you to reflect by yourself alone and perhaps with a trusted Christian friend what you may be able to do yet to bring harmony and wholeness in the relationship. And if appropriate, go to them directly with humility and respect to talk about the difficulties between you. If it is an injurious and unhealthy and dysfunctional relationship, I invite you to keep space, holy space, around them and around you and between you so that God may do the work that you are incapable of doing. Let God be God. Stop. Just stop doing any behavior that violates Matthew 18. Just stop. Don't justify it. Just stop. Without any limitation, forgive. And above all, continue to be committed to serve Christ in all your life. And do not surrender the calling or peace or joy of Christ in your life to anyone else. But by his name and in his power, seek to be reconciled, to be healthy, and to be Christ's child. you join with me in a spirit of prayer. Good and loving God, it's time for us to surrender all of it. Speak to us and allow us to hear and feel your presence and we ask you to forgive us for the times for the emotions, for the words, for the actions we have done that have not reflected you to all and any. I, in the name of Jesus Christ, ask you to help us forgive those who have done the same to us. Let us be set free from the past scars and wounds. And as far as it depends upon us, with no need to justify or defend what anyone else does. Let us live peaceably with all and there find the surprises of grace that can make a new way where there was no way. Heal, bless, and be with us today in all areas of our life where there is strife or conflict or disagreement that we might be the church, that we might be your children and disciples as you've called us to be. In the name of Christ, so be it. Amen.